We are just so thankful to have David come up and join us from Brantford. And David, come on up and share with us what the Lord has put on your heart. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for having it today. Any day is great with me. (laughs) Thank you for, for doing that. And I want to thank all of you for your ongoing support. You know, I mean, this, this is a, a particular day that, of course, we try to emphasize the work, you know, of the four C's nationally. But you have been supporting us all along. And uh, thank you so much for that support. And today, especially, too, for those of you that have uh, given, uh, thank you for your generosity and for your kindness um, in the work of the ministry for the four C's. I also wanted to thank Brian and Heather you know, as your lead pastor for the leadership in particular they're giving here at Chalmers, thank you for all you've been doing, uh, Brian, and helping steer the ship and uh, as well as the board as well. I see a lot of new faces here today since the last time I've been here, and I think that's just tremendous. And maybe what you need to do is just, you know, in honor to your pastor and his wife, just give them a round of applause and let them know you really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, today we're going to be talking about a topic called living your life with a purpose. Now, I know that most of you say, well, I'm already doing that. It's called 8 to 4, 9 to 5, um, 6 to 3, whatever your schedule may be. Well, that's not really your purpose. That pays your bills. But that's not your life purpose. We're going to talk about that and unpack that today as it relates to you individually and to each of you, too, as a church whole and as our churches in general within the four C's. We're going to talk about that. And I think it's important because a lot of people don't live life with a purpose. They live life, (laughs) but not necessarily do they have much focus, much purpose in what they're really doing with their lives. Now, we're going to read a verse here of Scripture And I wanted you to take a look at this with me. It's from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I'm taking it from the New Century Version. You may find that it says it a little bit differently in other translations, but it's basically coming to the same conclusion. All right, so let's read it together. Only one thing concerns me. Be sure that you live in a way that brings honor to the good news of Christ. Then whether I come and visit you or I am away from you, I will hear that you are standing strong with one purpose, that you work together as one for the faith of the good news. Basically, what Paul was saying here, essentially, is that I want to be able to know as a traveling apostle that whether I am with you or whether I am away from you in my travels, that I will always hear about you in a positive way. What I'll hear about you is that you're standing strong together. You're working together with one purpose and focus in life. That was Paul's ambition. It was his goal. It was his aim. And it was what was dear to his heart. Now, the Apostle Paul, as you know, and most of you, I think, would know this. If you know anything about the book of Acts, you would know that Paul traveled a lot, right? He did a lot of traveling and he was in boats and he did a lot on land and He did a lot of that. He was really a nomadic kind of person. Everywhere he was going, he was just walking, traveling, taking whatever means of transportation available to him at that time. Now, I understand that. And I understand the the whole idea as a national pastor, the geographical limitations that are imposed upon us 
And, and I would say I even have, have perhaps a greater means than he did of getting around a little bit more faster and quicker than he did. I mean, boats were slow. Walking on feet, well, that's, that's kind of slow too. Cars a little faster, so are planes. But I've been getting a little nervous lately about the planes. I mean, have you just recently saw that one where the, the poor Asian fella, a medical doctor, I guess he was, I understand, was drug off the United Airlines plane? Did you see that, any of you? Huh? You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, he was, he was drug right off right down the center aisle, okay, of the plane. And now, you know, there are many times I have stood in the check-in for Air Canada, and they have said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are uh, wanting to let you know that we're overbooked. Now, that takes on a whole new meaning now when I hear those words. And we would like to know if any of you would like to give up your seat, you know, for this voucher or whatever, or take the next flight, and we'll give you a little bit of money for that or whatever. Now, I've never taken them up on the offer because usually I've got to get there wherever I'm going. But now, when I get into my seat and I'm sitting down on that plane, and I know that this plane's been overbooked, I'm going to start wondering when I see some of these people walking down the aisle, they picking me out or who's next, you know? Now, I know it wasn't Air Canada. I know that. So we're going to say Air Canada would never do that. Well, let's hope so, right? Then there was another incident, too. You saw that, right? I think maybe some of you did see that one where this guy took, apparently was a stroller or something, and he ripped this stroller up, and I guess he almost really hit this lady and this woman. You know, in the front, she was in tears, she was crying, and then there was almost a, a real fisticuff kind of situation between the, the attendant and one of the guys who got after him for his behavior. Did you see that one? Yeah, okay, so you watch the news. Now, you might have known this was coming, right? We're getting there to the message, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of, little bit of humor to get me started off here. You might have known this was coming as people said, okay, we're going to give United Airlines a new motto, Okay. So people, you know, wrote in and said this is what they thought the new motto should be for United Airlines. And here it is. Just voted number one in Chinese takeout. (laughs) Next one said drag and drop. Or we put the hospital in hospitality. (laughs) Board as a doctor, leave as a patient. Our prices can't be beaten, but our passengers can. (laughs) We have first class, business class, and... No class. (laughs) Not enough seating? Prepare for a beating. We treat you like we treat your luggage. We beat the customer, not the competition. And you thought legroom was an issue. Where voluntarily is mandatory. Flight or fight, we decide. Now offering one free (laughs) carry-off. Anyway, if a staff needs a seat, we'll drag you out by your feet. You got to laugh at some of those things. I mean, I know you got to make humor out of what was really an unfortunate and very embarrassing situation to that poor gentleman who was treated like that. And you can bet there will be some lawsuits over that whole thing. Sad. Where's our world coming? I mean, so I know Paul was in situations where, you know, and he had no control over these. Okay, there were shipwrecks. There were situations in his life where he was on the high seas and there was really some very, very bad traveling situations. I've had some of that. And I have had some real bumpy plane flights. And I've had those drops. And I've had all some of those kinds of things. And I flew in one time from St. John's, Newfoundland, 
into Gander, Newfoundland, on one of these little planes that just have two rows, one this side, one on that side, for about 10 passengers total. And it was windy. It was just a wicked weather day, as it can be often in Newfoundland sometimes. And this plane was coming in to the Gander Airport. And as we're coming in just close to getting touchdown, this crosswind wind came in and took this plane. And the whole plane, I, I was sitting in the front, very front row where they had the open cockpit. They don't have it closed. There's no door on these planes. And I could see the runway. And I, I saw his plane going like this, way over from the runway, right? And I thought, he's not going to be able to correct this in time, or we're going to be landing out here in some field somewhere, right? Some real dangerous situations sometimes. And I understand, Paul, but I also understand, more importantly, not just the inconveniences that sometimes come, you know, the missed flight, the late flights, the sitting on the tarmacs, all that stuff that Paul may have had some of those inconveniences too. But one thing about Paul that I also feel with great passion is the fact that when I travel and when I'm away from a church or whether I go to a church, one thing like Paul is this that I see, and that is one thing, he says, only one thing. You read the text, concerns me. Paul was a very focused individual, and I want to focus you today on something that I think is very important too. Because like Paul, I believe that you need to live your life to an absolute purpose and focus that God has called you to live. Churches and individuals both need to be centered in their focus and unified in that focus. Now, how many of you remember years ago those, those merry-go-round things that used to be in playgrounds? Now, you know, I haven't seen too many of them lately, but that's because we're, we're sterilizing playgrounds lately. You know, we're making them so that they're so kids' safety zones that, you know, kids can't even bump and scrape anymore. It's that bad. Well, I remember these merry-go-rounds back before they sterilized the playgrounds and made them such a safety joint. And we were a little bit... Now, okay, I was a little bit crazy, back then, as a kid. I won't speak for my friends. I think they were too a little bit, but I won't, I'll just put myself into this picture. And here's one of these pictures of a merry-go-round that I used to have when I was a kid. Look familiar to any of you? Over 40? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know what? There's still a few around, but they've changed their design a little bit. But I liked this design because it's similar to the one I had when I was a kid. Now, what we would do is we would get out on the outside of the pole there, right? And we would run as fast as we could. And we would drive this thing around. We'd get several kids doing this, right? And then we would all know at the right time we would use a command or something to jump on board, right? So we would get into those little triangular sections. So we'd get it going as fast as we could. And then we'd get on those triangular sections. And then what we would do, because we wanted to just maximize the G-forces, right? We would hang on like this. And then we would just lean back way out like this, right? As far as we could. And that was the thrill, literally, of the ride. It was, it was okay, okay. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but believe me. <laughs> Believe me, this was really fun in my era. <laughs> yeah, I really had a great time with those things. Now, some of the wimpier kids, <clears throat> they didn't like this. This was a little scary for some of them. So you know what they did? They said, hey, we don't like this. So we, we would put them into the center. You see the, the little pole there? And there's a little bit of a round thing that kind of goes around. So we would say, go into the center, hold on to that thing in the center. Now, here's the interesting thing about a merry-go-round. When you're in the center... And when you're holding on at the center, if you look down at your feet, you will not get dizzy. True. Tried it. If you're out on the outer edge, though, 
and you're just roaring around and holding on for your dear life, and you're looking at everything else that's running around past you, you will come off, and you will be a little dizzy, guaranteed. But those other kids found safety in the center as the rest of us were out there living life on the edge, wild as can be. Now, why am I using that illustration today? Well, here's why. You know, over my course of years pastoring and dealing with people over the years, one of the things that I think I've found out is that a lot of people like to live life like they're on a merry-go-round. And they like to live life out on the edge. They really like the thrill, the exhilaration that comes from just living life out as far as they can from that center. Because that's where they think the thrill really is. And it's true. It is there. Problem is, though, is that, you know what? If you do that enough times and you enjoy that ride enough times, you'll come off and your head will be reeling. Your head will be spinning. And you'll all of a sudden begin to realize, like, I can't do this too much because, you know what? It's going to make me sick. Sooner or later, if I keep this up and if I keep looking at everything around me, flashing around me as I'm going around in circles, I'm going to get sick. A lot of people in the church, in life, like to live life on the edge, as I said, spinning around, going as fast as they can. They love it. They enjoy it. But the funny thing is about that is is that sometimes it's not long either before we realize in life that life has a way of making us dizzy, a way in which our lives, the further away we get from center, the center of a merry-go-round or the center of what should be the center of our lives. The further away we get from that, the more we will be disoriented. The more we will be less focused, the more we will be reeling, spinning, just going full tilt in life. But the closer we get to center, the more stable life becomes and the more focused life will become. We have many things, you know, in life that can compete for our center. You know, like, what is it that we will put our affection, our heart, our energy into? There can be many of those things that we could call our center at the moment. And you know what I mean when I say that. It could be family, could be careers, could be sports, could be recreation, could be vacationing, could be a lot of things could become our center. The thing that really matters most to us. The thing that we want more than anything else to give all of our time, our attention, our focus, and our energy to. Well, unfortunately, I want to make a case this morning that as Christians, in everything that we do, everything that we do, Christ needs to be the center of that focus of our lives in order for us to have a purpose that makes sense. Now, the Apostle Paul had many things occupying his life, right? You you know that he was a very, very busy man, and he had lots of things on his plate. For example, he had to look after new believers, opposing false teaching, handling persecution, people deserting him, raising funds for church planting and missions, traveling many miles in many difficult situations, and going through many hardships. The Apostle Paul had many other things on his mind, but Paul never saw those things as a distraction from his purpose. He saw all those things as fitting into his main focus in life. Just like I said to you when I started off by saying to you that your purpose in life is not that job you're doing every day. 
that pays your bills, but your purpose in life is to bring glory to Jesus Christ in everything you do. And we're going to share more about that so that you can understand what I mean when I say we need to be focused. So take a look at this verse with me and let's break it down. We need to get focused in life. And here's what Paul says. Only one thing concerns me. Be sure that you live in a way that brings honor to the good news of Christ. Now, the first thing I think of is like, only one thing concerns me. Wow. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that this morning? (laughs) Only one thing in life concerns me. I bet you this morning you've got a whole pile of things on your list that concern you. Right? There's a ton of things we could think of that cause us sleepless nights, worry, panic, fret, fretting, and all that kind of stuff. There are many things we could put onto that list, but Paul says only one thing concerns me. I thought that was really interesting because, you know, remember Martha in the Bible? If you don't know her at all, well, Martha had a sister named Mary, and they both had a brother named Lazarus. You may remember Lazarus being the one that died and Jesus brought him back to life. Well, on one occasion, Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha. Now, Martha, uh, she was really, really busy in the kitchen, kind of getting everything ready, getting the meal prepared and all of that. And she was getting annoyed that Mary just didn't seem to really care much about the hospitality side of things. Where was Mary? Well, Mary was in the living room sitting at the feet of Jesus, right there listening to him. And so Martha comes in and says, Jesus, listen, are you not concerned that Mary just sits here and I have to do all this work? Now, you would expect him to say, yeah, go help your sister. Well, he didn't say that. He said, Mary has chosen the right thing and it will not be taken away from her. And she was sitting there listening to Jesus and his teaching. There are times when the vacuum cleaner needs to be put away. There are times, for you clean freaks, that's a big statement, I know. Right? Yeah, I know. But there are times you need to leave the dishes sitting there for a little while. There are times when you just need to sit at the feet of Jesus and take in the opportunity to have time with him. You really do. Because if you don't, how many things will fill up that time? Well, I can tell you, all kinds of things in your schedule will fill up your day. The next thing you know, you drop your head on your pillow at night and you're out like a light. And you've had no time with Jesus. What Jesus was saying was, look, it's not that hospitality is not important, Martha. But right now what's important is the focus that she has, and that focus is on me. And that's what's important. I know, I know a lot of you might say things like, look, if Martha would have only had an iPad or an iPhone, Facebook or something else, she would have been more organized and focused, right? Well, I think we all know that our wired worlds have not made our lives more focused. Okay? Just ignore that vibrating phone in your pocket right now. You know what I'm saying? Oh, but who is that? I just got to pull my phone out and find out, right? I can't wait, right? You know that. And you know, it's so funny. Like, I'm sitting in a restaurant, and these kids come in, high school kids. And they come in, they sit down at the table, and I'm assuming 
Now, I could be wrong, but they kind of look like boyfriend and girlfriend when they first came in. So the two of them are sitting at Tim Hortons, sit down, and they pull out their phones. Now, they sit with their faces down the whole time I'm watching them on their phones. I can only conclude he's telling her, I love you on the phone. (laughs) Well, you know, what else? I mean, I'm I'm just thinking, right? Gotta be. Well, I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what she's saying either. But I'm thinking, you sure aren't talking to each other. I mean, well, now, if you're talking and texting, maybe you are talking in a way. But hey, what about that look into my eyes with that dreamy look kind of thing? Right? Oh, it's gone. You don't get that on this. You don't even get that on FaceTime. Right? So I don't think our wired worlds are helping us get more focused, if you uh, really want my own opinion. There's a profusion of phrases now, by the way that are now being used to describe even the anxiety and the busyness caused by what we call information overload. Now, these are blogsters, and these are people that are making a comment on what they see as our world of wiredness, okay, or weirdness, I don't know. He says, William Van, Van Winkle calls it data asphyxiation. David Schenck calls it data smog. David Lewis referred to it as information fatigue syndrome. Eric Schmidt refers to it as cognitive overload, brain overload, you know. And Leslie Perlew calls it time famine. Wow. Some interesting perspectives on the wired world that we're in today. So would you agree with me? I don't think Martha would have been helped if she would have had an iPad, iPhone, Facebook, Snapchat, I don't think anything would have helped make her life more focused. She just needed to learn that there are some simple things in life to take advantage of, and that is when Jesus is there, you need to get involved in sitting at his feet. Now, Andrew Murray, who goes back a number of years, was a great preacher in South Africa. You can check him out. He's been a prolific author, a writer of some of the greatest spiritual devotion books out there. Andrew Murray said this, and he put it in a a simple little sentence. He said, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Now, that was said by a man well before there was ever any wired technology out there. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Are you so busy? Think about your life. Are you so busy, so caught up that there's no time for Jesus? We can, in our world today, I think, sadly, get to the point where the world passes us by and we're not even tuned in. We're not even really paying attention. In one study, researchers put a clown on a unicycle. They put the unicycle in the path of pedestrians. The researchers asked people who walked past the clown if they had noticed anything unusual. Well, everybody saw him unless they had been on their cell phone. Three out of every four people who had been using their phone did not even see the clown. They looked back in astonishment when told what they had just missed, unable to believe that they had just walked past a clown on a unicycle and never even noticed him. 
They looked straight at him, apparently, but he had not registered. His presence did not seem to take hold on their minds. In other words, the unicycling clown crossed their paths, but not their minds. It makes me wonder today in the church, when we look at our purpose and our focus, which we are coming to, it makes me wonder if it is possible for you and I to be living our lives so fast that people cross our paths, but they do not register in our minds as lost people who do not know Jesus as their own personal Lord and Savior. Paul said... Only one thing concerned him. Now let's look at what that is. Paul said that be sure that you live your life in a way that brings honor to the good news of Christ. In the chapter earlier, Paul says this. May you always be filled with the fruit or the evidence of your salvation. The righteous character Produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory to God. May you always be filled with the evidence of your salvation. That fruit, that righteous character produced by your relationship with Christ. Then you will bring glory to God. When I was growing up, my dad and mom took me to a church. And one of the things I remembered distinctly as a young boy was... I would stand on the outside of the church steps waiting for them to go in. But while they were out there on the steps, the conversation was such that, you know, I remember even as a little boy, I remember some of the swear words and some of the jokes and some of the things. When we went into the church, and you know, I remember it had pews, you know, a lot similar to this. It was a church in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia on Octorloney Street called Grace United Church, if you need to know, just for reference sake. I haven't been back there for, for years, so I don't even know if the church is still there. But I remember coming in, and there was wood floors, no carpets, and it would just creak and creak. And we would come in, and, and people would, you know, do the check you out, see who this is coming in. I remember sitting in the chairs, the pews, and dad would look at me like as if, like, you know, now you're going to behave today. And I knew what that meant, of course. I mean, I... You know, you just sit there as good as gold, I guess, and you don't do anything, and you're quiet, and all the rest of those things. And, but I remember that being a little red-headed kid, that wasn't always the easiest thing to do. And especially when they starched my shirt. You remember, you remember that? Starched my shirt. I had this white shirt on with starch in it, and the collar was as stiff as can be, and I sat there with my little bow tie on. And do you think my early experience of church as a kid was a wonderful experience? I can tell you that I look back at those days and I still don't know. It's a miracle. I'm a pastor today. It is because it wasn't for that, for sure. But here's my story. What I'm going back to is this. They come in, they'd sing, they'd do their readings and everything else. And I'll tell you, you you would have thought it was day and night. I mean, these were the same guys out there just cursing and swearing and, and telling jokes and things. And these were the same people who just walked into the church. Now, what Paul's saying is, no, 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 no. If you're going to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, everything matters. All places matter. Wherever you go matters. 
Whatever you do matters. Whatever you say matters. And it means that all the time. Not just when you come into church. See, your kids want to know. Your, your family wants to know. Are you the real deal? Are you the real person that we see on Sunday? Are you the same guy, the same woman around the kitchen table? Now, don't get quiet. I have had my moments too. I have. I know what it's like. We have to work at this. This is not something that just instantaneously happens. We have to be genuine everywhere all the time. It's what Christ calls us to do. It's what he asks of us. And no, we're not perfect. I'm not saying that you need to be perfect, but I am saying you need to work on this. So, after Paul makes this statement... He goes into saying something else, too, because what he does is he comes to this next point. And I like how he transitions because he uses the word then. Now, so what he's basically saying, if you do the first part, that is, if you are very, very aware that you need to be focused on Christ so that your life brings honor and glory to God, then... It's connected. You see, you don't say, well, you got a new thought here. There's not a new thought here. This is the same continuation. Then he says, whether I come and visit you or I'm away from you, I will hear that you are standing strong with one purpose and that you work together as one for the faith of the good news. Paul was saying that if you live this way, I will know whether I'm with you or I'm not with you. I will hear good news because you have chosen to live your life in such a way as to bring honor to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, Paul says, then I will know, I will hear good things because you've chosen to live that way. Now, what does it look like when we are committed to working together with one purpose? And what is that purpose? Let's stop and think about what is our purpose. The second point of the Westminster Catechism, you can, you can look it up if you want, The second point says that that man's chief end, what what is his chief purpose? What is his sole purpose? In other words, what is it that we have been created for? Why are we here? What is the one thing? And the second point in the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, man's chief end, his chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. See, are you glorifying God by how you live? Because if you are, The church will know it, and so will this community. Because what's going to happen is, you're going to have a spirit, a mindset, a heart that says we're going to work together. We're not going to sit there like grumps on a log, folding our arms every Sunday morning and just like, you know, I can't stand it, I can't take it anymore. Why do I even come? No, 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 that's not going to be your attitude at all. What you're going to do is you're going to say, I am so glad to come to this church because they have one purpose. They are focused. They are intent on that purpose. And that is that the world hears about the good news of Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what we want to spread around and talk about. That's what we want to be known about. We don't want to be known in the community. And I hate to say it, but sometimes churches are, unfortunately. And I say that with great heaviness and sadness, that they're known in communities because, not because of their purpose, not because of their focus, and their strong work ethic of working together with that purpose. No, sadly, unfortunately, 
They're known for the many, many times they have argued and fought and split and everything else. They're not known for the right things. And Paul's saying it's really, really important that you as a church understand your life purpose. And your life purpose is, even in that job that you do, that seems so mundane, that seems so joyless, even in that job, and you say, what do you know about that, Pastor? Well, let me tell you what I know about that. I worked in Canada Post for a number of years as a supervisor, working with people that saw all that they were doing as mundane. If you ever want to find a place that works to rule, it's Canada Post. Now, you can appreciate, okay, this, I mean, a little bit. I understand. I mean, you know, so you're picking up a piece of envelope or a letter, and you put it into a box. Now, you do that over and over and over and over and over and over again, day in and day out. Sure, grant you that that might get to be a little boring, a little mundane. And there were people in there who had good jobs. I mean, not sort of good jobs, good education. And they were there because they needed a job. They just couldn't find it anywhere else. Now, I know that there are some of those mundane things because I had to also supervise those employees and get production out of them. Well, that was like prodding that old cow that my uncle had named Pansy who was in the pasture that he would send me down to get back to milk. That was one ornery cow. (laughs) It had a mind of its own for sure. But you know, you know, See, what motivates us as Christians is is not whether we're going to get a reward. It's not whether we're going to be given some big prize check at the end. No, what motivates us is the fact that the good news of Jesus Christ has become ours personally. We've experienced it. We know what it means to actually come out of a life and be transformed From a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, we know what that means to now be freed and set free from all of our sins. We know that. So that's why we can have a purpose in sharing that good news with others. Now, I could, you know, I've told people over the years that we cannot, and we cannot do this as a half hearted measure. Now, I've seen this. For example, I've said to people, when we have had opportunity to do things like in the church, whether it's been renovations or things like that, we're looking for donations and things to help with some of the restructuring, revisioning, and remodeling sometimes of churches that we've been doing. And I've watched people over the years, one in particular, I'll tell you for the sake of time, but one was this person brought in this set of cupboards because we were remodeling a section of our kitchen area in the church facility that we had in the fellowship hall. And so they brought in these set of cupboards. And for them, they just thought these set of cupboards were going to be just perfect for our new kitchen. (laughs) I said, you got it right. You hear what I said? To them, they thought these cupboards were just going to be perfect. So when they brought these cupboards in, now, you know, you got to really do the dance. You know, when you're a pastor, it's difficult. Because on the one hand, you want to sort of say, well, you know, we're really grateful for all donations. <laughs> right? You, you know, you want to say that, right? Then on the other hand, you realize that, wait a minute, you know, I'm not sure we really could use these, right? You're thinking to yourself. So I, I said to him, and I knew him quite well. So I said, I, I looked at him and I said, so where do these come from? 
Now I knew where they came from because I just, I just was having a conversation because I'm pretty sure I saw them in his kitchen. At least I, they looked like it. And these were old cupboards. We are talking old. We are talking painted three or four time old cupboards. Okay? Now these are old. And so when he brought them in, he thought they'd be just perfect for the church because you know why? It's just the church. Okay? Any old thing is good enough for the church. So I said to him, I said, so would your wife like to have these put up in her kitchen? I'll never forget his look. And I won't forget his answer. (laughs) He said, if I brought these back to my wife and told her we should put these in our kitchen, they'd be going right up the door as fast as they come in. I said, why so? I mean, how come? You know, he said, well, these things just wouldn't cut it in the house. And I knew I had them. I said, looked around him. I said, so they're not good enough for your house? Oh, no, no way. You crazy? Well, why are they good enough for the church? And he looked at me, and he, and he just, he hung his head down for a second, and he just, he said, Pastor, you're right. Now, he never got out of place, out of sorts, as sometimes people can do. He took those kitchen cupboards out the door, and I never saw them again. And I can tell you, I don't think his wife did either. <laughs> Paul Harvey, the great broadcaster of years ago, was asked the question one time. He said, and this lady called him up on the phone on an open-air program, and he said, listen, she said, I've had this turkey in the freezer now, and it says from the best before date, you know, like when we put it in, it's now about probably 10 years old. <laughs> so she says to Paul Harvey, she says, do you think that um, this will be good enough to give away to the church? I don't know where people are in their heads, but God doesn't want mediocre. Listen to these scriptures. You can look in the Bible if you want with me. First Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. God has given each of you a gift. From his great variety of spiritual gifts. Now, use them well to serve one another. No half-heartedness. None of this like, oh, I'll put a little bit of effort in and think I'm doing God a great service. No. Paul says, and Peter says both the same thing. He says, use well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all of your strength and your energy that God supplies. Don't just go into this with a little bit of squeaky effort. Then he says, everything you do will bring glory to God. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, same thing. Paul goes on and says, if your gift is serving others, serve them well, not half-hearted. If you are a teacher, teach well. Don't dabble at this. Don't prepare this thing two minutes before you go into your class. Do it well. He says, if it is giving, then give generously. If it's to encourage, then encourage others gladly. If God has given you leadership, take responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Do you care about the church? I mean, that's this place that you live in right now and fellowship with over the years. I was really encouraged this morning. Barbara was telling me, I was just asking her a little bit about her journey, you know, since losing Charlie, we're talking about some of that. And one of the things she said to me was, 
She said, you know, I am so glad for this church. In other words, she doesn't know what she'd do without people like you. You see, that's what the family of God is about. It's that genuine sense that we're in this together. We're fighting together. We're standing together. We got one purpose, which is to glorify God and share the good news. That's our united purpose. That's what matters. So when I ask you the question this morning, do you care about this church? Or do you care about other churches in the four seas or elsewhere in other denominations? Are you interested this morning in seeing this church increase, this church grow? And to increase its influence in the community here and in surrounding areas, are you willing then? You say, may say, well, you might say to me, yes, 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 to all those questions. Well, I would say to you then, are you willing to invest in this church? Now, hold on, because maybe that's another thought, isn't it? It's another consideration. That's where you now have to start thinking, well, now, wait a minute, what are you asking of me? Well, look, take for a minute, for example, if you were to have had some money, you could invest them in GM shares, I don't know why you'd invest them in GM. Oh, never mind. <laughs> anyway, you had some money and you wanted to invest them in GM shares. And what are you going to do when you do that? When you put your money into those things, are you not going to then all of a sudden be checking the paper out, see how the shares are doing? Are you not going to read everything you can, can on GM and what it's doing to see if it's actually going to make your stock go up? Like, Are you not going to have a real interest in that? Well, okay, let's take the secular out of it for a minute, and let's look at some other things. What about, for example, if you were helping African churches deal with the situation of AIDS and some of the children that are affected by this, and you were investing money in helping those churches reach out to these families, would you not want to know what's going on? You'd read everything you could on that subject. You'd want to know everything about that country in Africa you're helping. You would want to know because you're invested in it. You care about it. Some of you care about Haiti. And you want to know all about Haiti. What can we do to make a difference in Haiti? Because why? Because you're invested in it. It's a simple thing. And it's no different either if you were also planting churches in India. And an earthquake happened to come up. And you would want to know, is that affecting some of the churches that I've been investing in? Are they being affected by that earthquake? And, And is my money being used in a good way to help them? All good things, all good causes. So do you wish your church to grow and be healthy this morning? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. And I want you all to listen carefully because you see, I can tell you this because I can leave afterwards. (laughs) I love that. Boy, I love my job. Your pastor might have a harder time, but I don't. So if you're really interested in your church and you really want to invest in your church, then put some of your resources Put some of your assets, your money, your possessions, your time, your talents, and your energies into this church in honoring the good news. And I'm going to tell you something. Watch what happens when you do. You will all of a sudden take a real interest in this place, and not just a passing fad of an interest, but a real, genuine, invested interest. It's little wonder, you know, that Jesus said this. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be. Or where your treasure is, there will your heart be. It's kind of both ways when you look at it, when you see it. You're basically saying, you know, if our heart follows what we treasure, it will, then what are we treasuring? What is, what is it that we really want out of life? And is that treasure something that is worthy of our time and our attention? So where is your heart today? What are you invested in? 
What is your focus? A young boy by the name of James had a desire to be the most famous manufacturer and salesman of cheese in the world. Now he planned on becoming rich and famous by making and selling cheese. And he began that pursuit with a little buggy pulled by a pony named Patty. Now after making his cheese... He would load his wagon, and he and Patty would drive down the streets of Chicago to, sh- to sell cheese. Now, as the months passed, the young boy began to despair because he was not making any money, despite his long hours and hard work. One day, he pulled his pony to a stop, and he began to talk to him. He said, Patty, there's something wrong. We're not doing it right. I'm afraid... We have things turned around, and our priorities are not where they ought to be. Maybe we ought to serve God and place him first in our lives. The boy drove home, and he made a covenant that for the rest of his life, he would first serve God and then would work as God directed. Many years after this, The young boy, now a man, stood as a Sunday school superintendent at North Shore Baptist Church in Chicago. And he said, I would rather be a layman in the North Shore Baptist Church than to head the greatest corporation in America. My first job is serving Jesus. So every time that you take a bite of Philadelphia cream cheese, sip a cup of Maxwell House, Mix a quart of Kool-Aid, slice up a piece of DiGiorno pizza, cook a pot of macaroni and cheese, stir a bowl of cream of wheat, slurp down some jello, eat the cream out of the middle of the Oreo cookie. I'm not the only one, am I? You do that too? Okay. Or you serve some stovetop dressing. When you think of all those things, I want you to think about this young boy and his pony named Patty, and the promise that little James L. Kraft made to serve God and work as he directed. Paul's imagery couldn't be clearer when he said that we need to stand together, side by side, working together for one purpose. Now, I told you this morning that I was going to talk to you about living life with a purpose. As we close... I want each of you to think about what have you been living for, really? I'm a little bit older now than I was a few years ago. I'm a smart man too, you know? You know, make that conclusion, right? No, I'm just kidding. But one of the things I know is that the older I get, the more this thing about purpose really, really grabs a hold of me. Because... I mean, I can look back and see how quick life goes by. It does. It just is is a blur. A few days ago, we just welcomed uh, into the world our fifth grandchild. And a few days ago, or or it seemed like a few days ago, we were welcoming in our first child. Where in the world does time go? Well, all I want to say to you is this. Get it figured out sooner than later what your purpose is. You will find fulfillment in living a life that brings honor to God when he becomes your centered focus. Oh, yeah, you know what? 
It's fun out there on the outside of the merry-go-round. Well, sure. Oh, yeah, life's, uh, life's a thrill. Let's go do a whole pile of fun things. It's just fun, fun, fun. But you know when all the fun goes, when all of that is gone, you're sitting there thinking, okay, now what have I done? What have I done with my life? Do I have anything to show for this? Is there anything now that I can look at and say, for all my fun, I got the photos. Or for all of my investment, Jesus said this, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's where the investment needs to be. And are you living your life with that purpose of bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ? I hope you are. That's the picture of a healthy church. It's a picture of a healthy individual when they do that. Now, over the years, as I close with this illustration in a second, I wanted to say something to you that I I think everybody needs to know. Now, I know you know it at one level, right? But in the church, there's all kinds of different people, right? There's people like me, different. People like you, different too. We're all different. We all come from different backgrounds. I mean, I'll tell you honestly, you don't know my background. I don't know yours. But it, it doesn't really matter because you see, when you become part of the family of God, we're all part of a family. And it doesn't matter that difference, that diversity, those backgrounds come together to form what's called the family of God, the body of Christ. Now, in the computer animated movie, The Ant Bully, you ever see it? Well, you've got to have kids. I, I mean, look, if you don't have kids, go watch the movie. It's still a good movie. The Ant Bully, okay? And it's a boy named Lucas in the, in the movie, and he terrorizes the ant colony on his lawn by spraying water and stepping on them. Now, in response, an ant wizard... He devises a magic potion that makes their enemy, Lucas, shrink to ant size. Now, throughout the film, the boy is forced to live and work with the ants. Along the way, he learns several lessons about courage and loyalty and becomes sympathetic towards his ant friends. In one scene, though, Lucas and his ant friend, Zock, are lying on the ground and they're looking up at night, staring at the starlit city Uh, All the lights in the distance. And Zach asks, so this city of yours, is it like a nest? Well, yeah, Luke answers, look at kind of. And the humans that live there, are they all brothers working together for the greatness of their colony? Well, not exactly. It's a little more like, you know, every man for himself. But that's so primitive, Zock chides. He says, how does anything get done? Some people work together. Some? Well, why not all, Zock asks. I suppose it's because of their differences. But, he said, it's the differences that make our colony so strong. We have foragers, scouts, drones, nurses, regurgitators... I thought you'd like that one. All he said are different, but an essential part of the whole. This is where the ants in our colony all draw our strength. And you know, 
When Paul uses the words or the imagery of standing together with one purpose, he envisions something similar, I think, in a way, to that ant colony, where they were all different, they all had a purpose, but they were all working together for the purpose of the colony, just like you and I should work together for the purposes of Christ and his church. Standing side by side. Can you see the imagery? Hand in hand. Locked together. And do not be fooled today. Do not ever be fooled to think that it is the devil's idea and strategy that is so good to keep you independent and isolated from one another or from other churches. Nothing could be further from the truth. He needs you united together, serving him with one purpose, one focus. And would you do that today? Will you start living that life that Christ wants of all of us, a focused life? I pray that you will. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I pray today that each and every one who's here might have been challenged today to understand the importance they have and the role that they play too in this church here. Because each and every one has a part to play and they need to play out that part and be involved to the fullest of their capacity. And I pray, Lord, that they will arise to the occasion when summoned, when called, when, when there is a need for people to be involved in various aspects of ministry and they need to sign up and seek out a place where they can serve. Would they be responsive, Lord? Give them a heart that wants to reach out and do what they can for your kingdom. Bless Chalmers Church today. Bless the pastoral staff. Bless the board. Bless all, Lord, who labor here. And I pray that their influence and all that they do in this community would be enlarged and may more people come to know you as a Savior and Lord in their lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless everybody. Thank you.